And there are far too many people that are working really hard for the money that they make. But you mm. should never work for the money, whether it's your after school program or where or 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 it's a summer camp. Never work hard for money. Work really hard to set up the business infrastructure, to set up the camp infrastructure, and the money comes for free. That is the much more nuanced version of don't work in your business, work on your business. You, you work really hard to set up infrastructure and systems that make things run for you. And day after day, week after week, month after month, I talk and meet with school owners, studio owners, who everything's on fire all the time. And they're not running they're not running a systemic based thing and they're working really really hard and if they would focus their their top line creativity the best of their creativity the best of their motivation the best of their efforts on building sustainable systems the money just comes for free hey welcome back to the seven figure music school podcast where we share solutions to common problems that music school owners face and empower you to build and scale a profitable mission-driven music school. I'm Daniel, this is Nate, and in today's episode, we're looking at camp pricing and planning. And we're gonna dive into the nitty-gritty of creating a profitable and sustainable camp business. So whether you're just starting out or looking to improve your existing camp, we've got you covered. From market research to strategic pricing, we're gonna guide you through the process of setting prices that work for your camp and your customers. But it's not just about revenue. We're gonna also look at the expenses that come with running a camp, like staffing, variable costs, marketing spend, all that good stuff. So we're getting into the logistics today. So join us as we explore the ins and outs of creating that successful and profitable camp business. Nate, both you and I have a lot of experience on this. This is one episode out of a couple that we're going to do around camp. What's the first thing one should do when they're considering what they should price their camp at? I know what it is that we we do. Uh, what we did, what my partner and I, Greg, did, you know, back in the 2000s, when we were first getting our Piano Express summer camp going. Um, how did you come up with the pricing for your camp, Nate, way back in the day? And then how did that evolve over time? Yeah, great question. So it's not unlike how the kind of market research we're going to do for our private lesson program, for example. The very first thing you're going to do is just you're going to choose five camps that are within your community that you see as comparable to yours and you're gonna do a, just a pricing comp on it. And what's beautiful about summer camp, Daniel, and very different about the private lesson program, for example, where you're doing a pricing comp, is um, you can absolutely comp to like the skateboarding camp, the dance camp, the art camp. Um, all of those camps are gonna be comparable to what you're doing. Because what we learned over the years at, at Brooklyn Music Factory is that it is really unique. What you're doing is you're offering a really amazing version of childcare for, for parents, right? So it's a little bit, it's, it's different. It's a different, unique product. And so you can just comp to other schools. So that's the first thing I would do is just do a pricing comp on other camps and find out. And remember, when I say a comparative, you want to take another camp that like in Brooklyn Music Factory's case, you know, it's a 9 a.m. drop off. It's a 3 p.m. pickup. There's opportunities for extended day and early drop off. So you want to find another camp that's actually offering the same version of a service. In other words, the same number of hours that that, that child will be taken care of um, during the day or during the week. So that is step one for us. And we did that when we first started, I guess, 10 years back. And we actually continue to do it annually. Interesting. 
So you're looking at what they're doing. And uh, before I have you go to that second step, Nate, because I don't really have anything to add on top of that, I will say that I don't feel bad leading with that one because to this day, I, at least on a monthly basis from from clients, whether they're talking about camp or their just normal after-school program, I still get questions of, hey, how do I know what to price my services at? And right. I give the same advice. It's pretty much the advice that you just gave. And that's just market research. So even though it mm-hmm. is pretty simplistic, I think Nate has given you really good advice there. And if you haven't even done your homework yet on this, I definitely recommend that you do it and take into account some of those specific factors that Nate was talking about there. Take into account that you need to look at the size of their program and and those sorts of things. But you mentioned a step two, Nate. I know you have even more steps after that. What is that step two? The step two around pricing is um, considering uh, where you are in your journey of offering camp. So um, there's aggressive pricing strategies, i.e., um, you're going to potentially, we all know that type of business that, you know, the, the sort of Walmarts where they're like, we will never get beat on price, right? So they're thinking about the lowest possible price. And in fact, that's how they're going to try to attract enough customers. In your case with running camp, uh, you want to find yourself in a comfort zone, especially if you're just starting to do it. So let's say the average cost for a week-long camp um, again, with a 9 a.m. drop-off to a 3 p.m. pickup, let's say your average cost in your community is $545. That's the average across all that. You, you, you looked at five different programs. One was 700, one was 425. Anyways, you came up with an average of about 545. If you're in year one, I want you to consider pricing right under the average. I want you to consider right at that like 495 range. Um, Because what you're going to do here as you evolve this camp, and we've done it every single year, is you're going to do the same type of price increase strategy you do in your after-school program. So if I decide in year one of camp that I'm going to start at a 495 price, well, I'm mapping out to hit 545 in year two, 575 in year three, you know, 645 in year four. And I'm already thinking ahead that way in terms of the pricing. But step two is just to decide, you know, where are you in your journey? Try not to be overly aggressive with your pricing and be at the top of the offerings, especially if you're in year one or two or three. Yeah, I would um, never I, I would say to never discount. But, you know, if if you're on the early end, definitely price towards that middle. Nate, before you go on, I would ask yeah. you, how do you reconcile your first piece of advice with the second? Because in the first one, you were kind of like, look around, see what other people are charging, figure out what that is. But then the second one, you're already forecasting five years out. How how do you mm-hmm. reconcile those two? Because one seems to be looking outward and the other one seems to be kind of arbitrary. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, yeah. So on the forecasting piece, it's the same advice that we gave in a previous podcast on pricing of lessons, which is, and and we we've done a we've done a couple of great episodes on forecasting, right? Just getting fluent financially with your with your small business. But one of the most important uh, mindset shifts that we're going to make as a business owner is realizing that we're offering something of value, and every year there needs to be a price increase. Right. Just because that's I mean, we're that's I mean, your dollar is worth less next year. So you can (laughs) automatically decide that you're looking at like a five percent increase um, year over year on your camp pricing. 
And then you're going to get a little bit creative because you're going to you're going to continue to do your comparatives at the other programs each year. And then you're going to see, OK, well, with my five percent increase and that comp, right, I'm going to I'm going to look at both of those. I'm going to decide, well, the average is, you know, for example, the average is five sixty five in year two when you do your comps. But you were at four ninety five before you're going to just bump up to like five forty five in year two. So you're going to be you're going to still get that percentage increase in, but and you're going to be close enough to the average. So that's how I reconcile those two pieces. Can I give you one other mm-hmm. pricing piece on this? I'd love um, to, Daniel. Yeah. yeah, because we're you know we're running a 12 month business, right? So we're talking about how to run a great seasonal offering that gives that's profitable, um, that you can forecast uh, with a level of confidence. And so what I want you to do is I want you to think about all those families that are in your program right now that also are a perfect place to market and to sell to. And I want you to build in like a, we do a 5% discount for those families. So we say, hey, if you're already a member of our community, yeah, you're getting access to this camp instead of 495, it's going to be, you know, whatever, 450, 450. that's the discount, yeah. you know, something like that. And and all of those little the, those choices you're going to put in your spreadsheet in your simple camp budget like we have one, um, and you're going to say, well, I think like you know twenty to thirty percent of everybody who enrolls in my camp this summer is likely to come from within the community, so they're not going to pay full fare. They're not going to pay the four ninety five a week. They're going to actually pay four fifty, and you want to make sure that you factor that piece in. So that's the last pricing detail that we do at Brooklyn Music Factory, and and uh, it's it's, it's it's smart to do from a from a retention standpoint. It's also really smart to do from a marketing and sales standpoint because you reduce your marketing cost by selling internally to your existing clients. Yes. Where next on the pricing on the pricing front? I, I think that's enough on pricing. I think it's time to now go towards capacity. And to ask yourself, hmm. like, well, what are you actually going to build? What are you actually going to sell? How many groups? Uh, in our case, we're a songwriting program, so we have bands. We have groups of songwriting bands. And in truth, um, you know, and, and you're a massive proponent of this, Daniel, but the you should really look at your summer offerings is in terms of groups. It's all about group classes, group offerings. Um, so... The next thing you're going to do is you're going to look at, and we have this in our simple camp budget, which is just how many bands per week are we going to offer and how many students can we fit in each band? And let me be really clear about this. Um, for us, it's it's a facility issue. How many group class rooms do we actually have? We also add a set. We also add an extra band out in our community room. We just set up a bandstand there for them so that we can fit another band in there. Um, and so you're just multiplying that. So if it's four ninety five a week and you can fit six kids in a band, then you can go six times four ninety five and figure out what your gross revenue is going to be on each band that you're putting in summer camp. Um, so that's going to be step for, two for you is you're just going to decide what's your inventory. How many groups are you going to actually have? You're going to put uh, those on that little spreadsheet that you're mapping out. Um, and a couple of thoughts on this, Daniel, which is, that you know, we just it just came out of a call with the school owner talking about launching their camp, and there they had been about a year. They're probably like one or two years into it, and she used really good language. She's like, "We haven't really done a summer camp, but we've tested some ideas." 
You know, so you've been the, the, the testing of a summer camp is like when you have like, let's say you're a school of 150 or 200 students, and maybe this summer you have a musical theater program one week out of the summer, and it has 10 kids in it. Hmm. Yeah, that's not actually running a summer camp. That's you're, what you're doing there is you're just testing an idea. You're like, hey, it'd mm. be cool if we could see how this worked for one week. And, you know, do we have, do we even know how to design a camp um, and a camp day and what it looks and feels like and how to offer something really exciting and interesting for students for five days in a row? So that's just yeah. testing. So if you're in year one of launching your camp, but maybe you've done a couple of those test summers, then you're going to want to be fairly conservative in, figuring out what your capacity is. Well, I want to talk about capacity and I want to talk about some of these things because one of the things that's really surprised me, especially as we have been talking with the community of people who listen to the podcast or watch it on YouTube, is it surprises me sometimes how basic the questions get. Mm. And... I think there's even some things there that we could ex like some, some things that because you've been running camp for so long, Nate, and you're running a camp that does, you know, some summers, like three quarters of a million dollars. There's probably things that year one, you were totally starry eyed about that now is just second nature to you. And that perhaps a mm. lot of people who are listening to this, they're still in that kind of starry eyed place. So even down to the idea of what kind of camp are you going to run? And then this mm. idea of how you plan the logistics of that. So I'm going to actually talk a little bit about, I want to explore that through the lens of the camp that Greg and I ran for nearly a nice. decade. Just like you said, first off, the difference between an experiment and actually running a camp is the amount of forethought and preparation you put into it. And to that end, for the six months prior to the summer that we did our first camp, Greg and I had nearly like full workday conversations on a Saturday, literally writing the curriculum together, planning out the scope and sequence of what we were going to teach. Uh, um, and through that work, I actually wrote a 75-page curriculum that we were going to follow for mm. the camp. Right. And based on that work, Greg came up with a 100-page music workbook that that we deployed with those kids. And just like you said, first summer, we offered two weeks, and that was it. Next summer, we offered mm -hmm. four. By five years into it, we were offering 12 weeks worth of camp. And unlike Brooklyn, prime camp time in Northern Virginia was June, July. And August mm. was like... August was the time of like, oh shoot, we forgot to enroll our kids in a camp this year. Let's let's <laughs> let's enroll them in whatever's left. Um, yeah. So we often filled up our June and July slots, and then the August ones got filled up later in the summer. And pro tip for you guys who are listening: limit your enrollments. Don't offer. Don't open all twelve weeks at once. Select the weeks that you want to fill up first so that you can plan your staffing 
which is what Greg and I did. So we would targetedly open which weeks we were going to enroll, and we'd do one June, one July, and one August. And then as soon as that one sold out, we would open another in June, another in July. And for the email list of people that we had collected or people who had shown interest, every time we opened new weeks, it was an opportunity for us to email those folks and say, hey, new camp weeks have opened. If yes. you know the previous dates didn't work for you, check out these new dates. And so we opened them so that we didn't have this situation where we had some weeks that were really full and then other weeks that were, um, you know, half full or less. So that that's kind of a, a, you know, maybe a specific tactic, but I'm really resonating with a lot of what you said there. And in terms of capacity, Nate, I'll kick it back over to you here in just a second. But for us, we started by offering 18 slots. Nice. For this was an all piano camp. We had nine pianos and we would run them in A B groups. And again, this was all built into the curriculum. And after I think a summer or two, we actually increased it to 24 slots and we ran A B groups of 12 each. So and I'm not gonna get Ooh. into into the product and the delivery on promise piece of that in this episode, but again, it was all fine-tuned. It was highly organized and we knew what our numbers could be. And because, and, and after we had a couple summers worth of sales data, we got a lot better at predicting what marketing costs would be and all those sorts of things. I know later in the podcast, we're going to get into expenses, but those are just some thoughts I had um, maybe following up on, um, on what you said there and giving some practical advice to folks. You know, you mentioned something, Daniel, that I think is a really important uh, piece uh, uh, on the capacity note, which is that um, what's different about summer is that you're mm. managing these groups and you're trying to put it, for example, let's say you're a songwriting program like BMF. We're really managing ages four and five-year-old groups, mm. ages six and seven and eight-year-old groups and ages nine and 10-year-old groups. And so you talked about like being, you talked about being uh, offering and opening up the gates slowly over time to new weeks, right? Because behind the curtain here, we can say we want to do five bands with six kids in each band. But the reality is, based on the inquiries we get, we might all of a sudden do three of the bands are only age four and five-year-olds because that's all the inquiries we're getting. So now we're starting to shape those. And so the truth is, is you can actually have, if I look at our, you know, the spreadsheet, the enrollment sheet for our camps, you'll see bands, you'll see actually a waiting list for that week based on the age of the student, even though the week as a whole isn't sold out yet. That makes sense, right? You you have a bunch of inquiries for these four and five-year-old groups in our case, but the reality is the only openings we have are for seven and eight-year-olds to fill that one group. Because remember, in camp, you're you're managing a full day experience for these humans, right? It's not like 45 minutes where you're just kind of getting in and out of a group sesh. So you got to be really, really thoughtful. Like if you're going to enroll, um, uh, if you're going to enroll a bunch of four and five year olds into your group class, well, you cannot put them in the same room for the day with a bunch of seven and eight year olds. Because it's just not gonna, it's not gonna be a sustainable delivery on promise. The experience you're gonna, you're gonna really find yourself with a headache. So, anyways, uh, I just wanted to uh, just to make that clear that there's a lot of moving of the pieces around to form that perfect week of camp. 
as you get your increase coming in based on the ages of the students and depending on what you're offering, right? Um, I wanted to add a couple of other ways that we generate revenue, and then I think we should look at expenses. Sound good? Okay, good. Yeah. So we also, you know, a camp, again, it's really important to understand that what parents are looking for is essentially a really enriching childcare experience because they're at work. It's summer. Everybody's off. And there's actually a little bit of a guilt factor happening as a parent. I know because I am one of children <laughs> who grew up and they're like, and you're like, man, I got to work all week. And I'm kind of bummed out that my, I don't want my kids just sitting around, you know? So you're looking for an opportunity for them to be well taken care of, but you're hoping it's enriching. And oftentimes these parents need to be able to drop their student, I mean, their child off at eight in the morning. So you can introduce uh, upsells like an early drop off and uh, an extended day where we, we absolutely do that. We don't, let, let's say we have 30 kids in a week of camp. Well, 12 or 15 of them are gonna stay from three to six and extend a day. And uh, one thing on pricing there, so that's a great way to, 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 to increase your revenue. Um, and one thing on pricing there is we offer a, just an a la carte, hey, you need, a, you need to pick up your kid late today? No problem, it's like 25 bucks to keep your kid there after camp. Mm -hmm. Or they can just enroll in a full week at a discount, you know, it's like $75 and you could do extended day for the full week or $100 or whatever it is, you know? So there's a way to add on there. And there's another piece too, which is that we offer in-camp private lesson packages. So you get that parent who's enrolled their kid, but their kid really um, is interested in learning more about the drums or the guitar or taking more voice lessons to go along with their rehearsals that they're doing in camp. And so we offer, it's not priced at the same as an after-school private lesson, but it'll be like a two-lesson package where they can they get two 30-minute lessons and it's whatever, 75 bucks for the week. They get those two lessons. Um, so those are a what, couple of nice upsells, yeah. What percentage of people will take that upsell? Do you know? I, that, I, get, I bet you know, Nate. <laughs> I, can guess. I do. Well, okay, this is a – so are you asking about early drop-off extended day private lessons or both? Let's just do each. Okay, so um, you know, I could pull up a spreadsheet on it, but let's just save ourselves that time and say that I would, I would say that you're looking at about thirty percent of your campers are going to need extended day. It's somewhere in mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. um, that's my. That's a pretty well educated guess without again pulling up the numbers. And then I would say what's fascinating about the pri upsell on the private lessons, I'm going to be honest, I always thought no way will people buy these, right? They're already paying, in our case, they're paying $7.95 for the week of camp. Then let's say they bump on another $150 an extended day. Um, you know, that's a, that's a big investment, right? So, but it's what's fascinating is, is that um, it, you know, it's, almost it almost always sells out and we mm. don't offer a lot we offer maybe like 12 two lesson packages a week right mm. and so because we're using the faculty that are there that are teaching the songwriting programs we're just saying hey you also need to do like three or four of these 30 minute lessons over the course of the week so we're not trying to sell you know um to all 30 members of the camp that week but we might sell 12 of these packages 
And they always sell out. And what's, but I will say this, they're not something that people pre-purchase. There's something where week before we do, it's much more of an email marketing hand to hand on that. It's a manual sale where you'll say, hey, we've got, you know, we send out these emails the week prior to camp and in it says, hey, we have 12 private lesson packages available. Do you want one? So parents are much more likely to purchase. Uh, it's more. It feels to me more like an impulse buy, not like a planned purchase, if that makes oh, sense. Oh, I love that. And I'll just say, um, this is one of those things where we're probably not going to dive into and explore what exactly what you do to sell those 12. But I would just hazard a guess that the way that you present it, the marketing copy, the value that you project to them is why that that happens. This is not just something where you, if you are running a camp or you're considering running a camp, ooh, that's a great idea. Let me just throw something in there to make more. There's probably going to need to be time and investment, creative energy in creating a message that resonates that will allow you to get the kind of result that's Nate, that Nate is getting. And I only add that in because I know my mentality in business early on or as I was still kind of developing and sharpening my business edge was I would look at opportunity and I would get excited about it. And I would, to me, understanding how the opportunity work was worked was enough to get me excited, but I didn't count the cost of what it would take to execute on it. Yes. And I would just, and I would just say that, you know, all of this is really exciting. But only, you know, and and what is planned becomes possible, but only what you schedule out and actually write down becomes real. That's a take on a quote that I've said many times in this podcast. And it it really just everything about what we've said so far today and what we're going to say next is really about the the nitty gritty of the details. Um, Yeah. Anyway, you know. Yeah. And Daniel, I think it's a, it's, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this and you're like, this is the summer I'm rocking the camp for the first time, then yeah, don't, don't add on the pressure Mm. of, I'm also going to introduce a private lesson program. You may not even add on the pressure of extended day yet. You might be like, you know what? It's too much. I just want to get the piece, the actual service of the music camp correct. I don't need to get the early drop-off extended day correct yet. Don't worry. You'll have future summers to add that in. <laughs> we didn't add that till several summers in ourselves, And when we did, nice. it was the perfect time to do it and was not a headache for us. It was great. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. Go on, Nate. I know you want to talk about expenses, or did you have any other thoughts that yeah. you wanted to wrap up pricing on? No, no, no. I think we've covered the revenue piece well. Uh, okay. Let's get to expenses. So, love it. Expenses, you're talking about people, 
at Brooklyn Music Factory, we call it the people power. So those are your people power expenses. And then you're talking about your variable expenses, i.e. the things that go along with running camp. For example, and we'll get to it, we run a pizza party on Fridays. And so there's a variable meal expense that goes with that. That wouldn't normally be in an after-school program. And now all of a sudden, every single week of camp, we're budgeting like $200 in street pies that are coming from our pizza joint in <laughs> the corner. It is New York, so it makes sense. But anyways, um, so let's talk about people first. Um, at camp, we essentially have three roles that we hire to. And I'm not including my partner, who's the director of camp. So the director is the equivalent of like our private lesson director, this, the person who's sort of setting vision and looking at the entire thing. And um, let's not talk about that role right now, because that's yeah, essentially in the case you. Of, you exactly. In the case of our listeners, it's you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I was saying. So you don't have to worry about that because you're already hired. Um, okay, so I'm talking about the other three roles. The first one is we call our camp manager. And our camp manager is essentially the person who's there every morning opening the joint up. They know all the teachers. They know every single family and every single student by name, every parent and every student. They're really the conduit. So they between the student, the parent, and the teacher. They're keep they're, they're that they're the center of that triangle. Um, they're running that sucker on time every day, Monday through Friday. So that's the camp manager. The second, and oftentimes our camp manager, we have a single hire for the whole season that's the camp manager. Sometimes we will have a couple people do camp manager, right? Um, second role is your lead teacher. So that lead teacher is oftentimes hired from internally, i.e. from within the staff that you already have. We do about 70% from within the staff. Uh, you know, from within the faculty at BMF, and then we have about 30% of them are seasonal hires, i.e. they're hired just for that summer season to work, say, three or four weeks of camp. Uh, and those lead teachers are exactly what you think they are. They're well-trained. They're highly trained. They can deliver on promise on exactly what uh, your camp offering is. If you've, you know, in our case, we're a songwriting camp, so we have a very specific songwriting curriculum where the band writes and records an original song over the course of five days. And so that lead teacher, that's what they're held accountable to, right? So they're running that classroom. Um, and then we final role is essentially uh, like a CIT in camp. We call it an MIT, a musician in training. That's that camp assistant, that teacher assistant. Um, that will oftentimes be like a teen, could be a current student, could be a former student. Um, but those are, you know, they're like the striker. They're moving between classrooms. If there's a child that's re really struggling and needs to sit out in the community room rather than be in rehearsal, that assistant's there to be by their side. Um, so you, so we have those, those are our three people power roles and they come at three different uh, price points, right? The camp manager generally going to be probably the most well compensated because the buck really stops with them. Then you have the faculty, of course, the lead teachers are, are, are very close behind there on, in terms of what, what the payroll is going to look like. And then your assistants are going are gonna to be um, generally a fraction of what the lead teacher is. So those are our three people power expenses. Um, any thoughts on that? Follow-up questions on that, Daniel? I want you to tell me when BMF hired each of those roles, because you don't start summer one with a, with a mm. camp manager. How many students were you at when you were like, you know what? 
I don't want to do this job anymore. Or we have the revenue yes. to support a camp manager so that I can do more of what I need to do, which is promoting this camp to make it bigger. That's a great question. Um, I was going to pull up our numbers of camp growth from year one through year 10, but let's just say uh, in year one and year two, probably even in year three, uh, my partner, Pira, who's the camp director, she was acting as camp manager. She was also likely acting as a lead teacher at the same time. Right? So what does that mean? Well, that means that at 7.30 p.m., if there was an angry parent, she's out, she was absolutely taking the phone call. Um, that means that if, um, you know, there's, a, there's a, a teacher calls in sick, which, of course, they always do, that happens then that that in that she was acting as the sub whenever needed um so i would say it took from in our first summer we maybe did 60 students 60 enrollments right in um camp i would say by the time we reached like 150 to 200 campers enrolled over a summer then we would i'm sure at that point we started expanding uh, and adding, for example, a camp manager. Um, and why? Well, because number one, you now have, as you talked about before, Daniel, you now have a predictable budget. You understand like that you can actually sell the thing, that money actually goes into the bank account and you can plan on it. And so you can begin to budget out for these roles. Um, but this is a great question. You're absolutely gonna be the camp manager and the director and even likely the teacher this summer, yes. next summer, if you are just starting this thing. Um, okay. And just as a sidebar, you actually want to be. Because you, you know, like Daniel, you were talking about you and Greg writing out the curriculum. I mean, that's badass that you guys did that. But you still have no idea if it's going to work. You need to get in the you need to get in the in the cage there and figure out what's working and what's not. So exactly. summers one and two. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of just like, oh, wait. I thought for sure a kid could be in a rehearsal for two hours. Turns out, hell no, they can't. Not in summer. <laughs> like, they need to be at the playground by, like, 11 a.m. So, sure. anyways. well, Any other me, thoughts on that even... before? Yeah, what do you got? Well, yeah, I mean, that that definitely mirrors our experience because we grew it organically and probably slower than we could have. But we were very young. I was in my early 20s. Greg was in his mid-20s. We didn't have a lot of business right. experience, but we did, you know, the high point of that camp was in the low two hundreds, um, you know, a couple That's of awesome. years in and we started hiring assistants. We started hiring assistant teachers. We never had a camp manager because it was a way for Greg and I to bolster our income during the summer. So we wanted to yep. keep that for ourselves. Um, I don't think we quite had the vision that you and Pira did. And, um, you know, even towards those last few summers, it overlapped with uh, Greg opening his after-school location. And so we had, not babysitters, but after-school, I'm sorry, after-care workers and before-care workers. We had, we co-opted his admin to help us, you know, do a lot of assistant type things. Totally. So, you know, but we were in the high hundreds um, when when we when we did that. So... Yeah, I just was curious what your experience was there for us because 
for us, it really was just looking at the revenue that was going to come in and then just saying, do we want to, do we want to take that expense on? And Mm -hmm. if it made the camp better, you know, we would justify it. Oh, this will make the camp better by having additional teachers. Oh, we'll be able to Mm -hmm. bump up our class sizes if we hire an assistant. And then we can take those assistants and train them to be teachers in the after-school program throughout the year. And those kids will have those relationships with them. There was a lot of, again, it just kind of grew organically, but it all started with, you know, again, I'll just repeat it. Solid planning on the curriculum, really understanding the math, understanding the numbers of what the profit and loss would be, or at least forecasting it in a way that even an early 20 year old who didn't understand forecasting, (laughs) he could understand it. I eat me. Um, and, and just thinking about those details beforehand and just creating a task list for my, a task list for ourselves to make it run smoothly. And the best thing we could have done in, again, I'm not wrapping up here, but the best thing we could have done, it goes back to what you said 20, 30 minutes ago was that that first summer we kept it really small we took a lot of notes. Mm-hmm. Next summer, we 5x, 6x the enroll um, the enrollment because we learned so much that first summer. Yeah, it's a it's a really it's a training on the job for sure. And I think um, it, it's it it bears repeating multiple times here that you're offering a new product when you're offering summer camp. So be very mindful that you're not going in with the assumptions that it's just like your after school program. Because it isn't. Mm-hmm. When you have a seven-year-old on site from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. or to 6 p.m., you're actually learning a whole new set of skills on how to deliver on that. What next on the expenses? Okay. We talked about the three positions. I think you talked about variable costs as something you wanted to talk about, or did you already cover that? Yeah, yeah. No, we're going to wrap with variable costs here, okay. and then I'm just going to share a couple of percentages just to help people who are the the wonks in our listening audience who are like, I love numbers. I love when Nate and Daniel talk about them. I'm going to talk about percentages because I'm going to give you some. Okay, so variable expenses are those things that that really are only happening um, uh, week in, week out in a summer camp experience or a day camp experience. And here, just I'm just going to give you a few of the things we do. First of all, we always do a camp T-shirt. Why do we do a camp tee? Well, it's the dead of summer. Everybody's wearing tees. Kids love the tees. We have our kids all sign each other's T-shirt at the end of, after the mm. gig. It's super fun, and it's just like marketing 101 for you. You know, Brooklyn Music Factory summer camp T-shirts are all over New York City, and that's because we've handed out like thousands of them over the years. So um, that's a, that's one thing we do, and that's not a small expense. Like we, I think we spend like three thousand a, a summer on tees for all of our campers, and that'll be for like three, 400 campers, something like that. Um, next thing is that we uh, do a pizza party at the end of the week on Fridays. Why do we do it? Well, because everybody loves a pizza party and teachers love it. They love getting a free lunch. Uh, by the way, we have all of our campers. They have to bring their own lunch. They bring their own snacks. You're not running a cafeteria, by the way, just to be clear on that point. Um, so we run a pizza party though on Friday <laughs> and... <laughs> And uh, it's good. Everybody's happy. It's a lunch, but and it costs us two, three hundred dollars a week to add that on there. Um, I don't think we did a pizza party in years one, two, or three. Just back to your point, Daniel. We waited until we felt like, yeah, actually, this camp's great. We're ready to add a couple of uh, of extras onto it. Um, finally, we do things like in camp, 
Um, you have these extra supplies that you need that you don't necessarily need in your after-school program. Like kids are, we 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 actually buy a whole new set of like board games. We buy playground toys. We buy crafting materials. It's not a lot of money, but it for us it's like another fifty hundred bucks a week that we spend so that these kids, because these kids are not only in writing their songs in rehearsal, they're spending as much if not more time crafting, drawing band posters, playing at the playground. It, you know, it's New York, so we're always doing chalk drawings on the sidewalk, that kind of thing. So those are three just examples of variable summer camp expenses that you can throw into your budget and be like, oh, that's pretty awesome. I think I do want a T-shirt. Let me just price out what that's going to be for my 75 campers this summer. And you're going to put it in there. Um, the last piece, Daniel, is that marketing piece. And so we keep it really simple in our simple camp budget. We just say, look. We know that this is an offering that's going to require its own unique marketing funnel to sell, right? We know it's not like, like uh, yes, we have those, we have a website and we have landing pages, et cetera, but we need to actually drive a Google ad specifically to summer camp. And so we have in our simple camp budget just a, a, an ad spend. What's our digital ad spend? We also have camp fairs. Camp fairs are a really important thing that are put on by the public schools in our community and we go to maybe two or three we've done as many as five in a season each one of those costs like 300 350 dollars to partake in so those are marketing expenses that are very specific to selling out our camp the final thing we do is printed right we're in a place where we want to be handing out camp um, pamphlets to everybody so we're we're bringing those to the camp fairs we're handing them to our after school families starting in january we're handing them pamphlets about uh, summer camp. So there's absolutely a marketing line that is a that is an indirect expense. Um, well, actually, it might be a direct expense in that in that case, but um, specifically for camp. So we like to try to parse that out separate from our company wide marketing spend. And that's honestly mm -hmm. it for expenses. Like we call it a simple camp budget because honestly, your your summer camp budget should look and feel simple. Mm. That's about it. Okay. This is what I would say. I don't know if I have a lot to add to that because in the camp that we did, we didn't do a lot of those extras. I think in a previous episode, I mentioned the one extra that we did was that DVD. We didn't even see it so as nice. a profit center. It was, it was just kind of a memento for the family because they really enjoyed that. Uh, they liked having that, uh, record of their child's performance on the final day of camp. What I would say is that, you know, we did episode on selling out the summer camp. We did an episode on delivering on promise and the product part of camp. We're doing an episode here on pricing, some logistical things. There's a lot of information. One could be, could be kind of filtering through one's head, a lot of things to take mm. in. The question I would ask everyone who's listening or if you're watching on YouTube would be, what questions do you have about all of this? Um, mm. Where do you still feel kind of lost, stuck, confused? Or if you already have a camp, you know, what specific questions do you have about your camp that you're doing where you're like, man, I really just feel stuck in this area. If we get enough questions, we'll do a whole episode where we just go through your all's questions. But to do that, you're going to need to email us, drop a comment below this video or any 
of the other videos. If you're watching this on YouTube, um, head over to gregormusicstudio.com, fill out the contact form, leave us a question there. If we get enough questions and enough like specific questions, we will definitely do another follow-up and we'll see mm-hmm. those questions as uh, further interest from the audience to let us know to keep going on this camp series. Because as of this recording, this will be the third episode that we've done that has been released. We'll do more if you want them. Or we can move on hmm. and move to a different topic. And this is where I would just kind of reach out and look at those of you who faithfully listen. And we can tell you faithfully listen because we see the stats in our in our metrics dashboard on the podcast. Um, and we can see who we're, um, who's coming back. And, and a lot of you are just kind of going through and listening episode after episode and just going straight through. Um, that'll be a signal to us to keep going on this. So let us know what you think. Nate, any final thoughts yeah. or do you think we're done here for today? Yeah. I'm going to give you my final thought is just to give you our percentages, target percentages for profitability in your summer camp, because we have them at BMF. Um, and we these are based on our historicals, like uh, from year one moving forward. So essentially, we look for a net income or net profitability on summer camp at around 58 to 60 percent. What does that mean? That means that if we gross ten thousand uh, dollars in a summer camp, that's the total amount of money we bring in after we pay all of our staff, after we have the discounts that we gave off of tuition, after we buy all those pizzas and T-shirts, we want to see about fifty-eight hundred dollars to six thousand dollars left over to invest back in the business or to pay out, you know, as draw if needed. Right. So. That's a good target for you. And let me give you one other sub-target. So we talked about the people power piece. Everybody listening knows if they have a level of financial fluency, and you probably all likely do at this stage of your career, or you wouldn't be in episode, what are we at? Like 60. I don't know. 60, thank you, of Seven Figure Music School if you were not rocking some financial fluency. Um, But everybody knows that the people, the people power is one of your main lines, your main cost lines, your main expense lines. That's the one you're always looking at. Um, you're looking at cost of labor. What does it cost for the teachers? What does it cost for the administrative support to run anything in our company? And in the case of summer camp, our people power costs are running somewhere in the, um, I'd say like 30 to 40% of your total costs. So hopefully that helps you too, as you start looking like, well, how much do I need to invest in humans versus the extra costs like pizza and t-shirts and things like that? Um, Well, we look to spend around 30 to 40% of our gross revenue on that. Now, keep in mind, one of the big numbers that I did not include is rent. We didn't talk about rent. Why do I not talk about rent? Because that's a fixed expense that you're going to pay whether you run camp or not. Dig it? So I'm not adding that into the simple camp budget. I'm saying, well, I've, I'm already paying this. At BMF, it's, you know, we're already doing this, spending, writing that $9,500 a month check. So I'm not including that in that budget. Yeah. But so that's it for uh, on my end. Yeah. But what okay. do you got? Uh, well, I will add that the way Greg and I ran camp, at least for the first five summers, is that we did rent an external location. Oh, Nice. And I don't say that to be oppositional to you, Nate. I say that to empower the audience because if you are 
if, if you, I mean, there could be someone out there that they're teaching out of their house right now and they have aspirations to run a, a camp. Yeah. Hey, go find that location, but you are going to have to budget it in. Yeah. Yeah. And we just, so, um, Daniel, that's, that's a great point because we just did that for the last two summers of camp. Yep. Since we were between locations, um, we rented and we did include that rent in our camp budget. Yeah. So that's a great yep, point. Yep, yep. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to leave with a final thought. I know that today we started, you know, pretty solid uh, narrative line of thought around the pricing. But then here, as we've gotten to the end of the episode, we've been ping pong over a lot of different topics that you do need to be thinking about as you're think as you're planning your camp, running your camp, all that sort of thing. So I'm going to end with a very solid thought. There's the cliche phrase that at this point we all roll our eyes when I hear it. Don't work in your business, work on your business. Okay. Right. And I want to, okay. So I, you know, I'm being a little uh, sarcastic there, but Nate was just talking about that people power piece. He's talking about how important that that is. And I'll just say this. Just got off zoom earlier today with a successful school owner, 500 plus students Mm. have had a number of calls already this month with a number of school owners and there are far too many people that are working really hard for the money that they make, but you Mm. should never work for the money, whether it's your after school program or where, or, or, or it's a summer camp, never work hard for money, work really hard to set up the business infrastructure, to set up the camp infrastructure and the money comes for free. That is the much more, nuanced version of don't work in your business. Uh, no, don't. Yeah. Don't work in your business, work on your business. You, you work really hard to set up infrastructure and systems that make things run for you. And day after day, week after week, month after month, I talk and meet with school owners, studio owners who everything's on fire all the time. And they're not running, they're not running a systemic based thing and they're working really, really hard. And if they would focus their, their, top line creativity, the best of their creativity, the best of their motivation, the best of their efforts on building sustainable systems, the money just comes for free. That's what you should be working on, whether it's camp, after school, whatever you put your hand to. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.